Welcome back for episode 34 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on June 8th, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have the man who it has been said has the voice of a flower, Justin Sane, 0516. Evening, all. Next up is the third member of our merry little band, our friendly neighborhood spokesman for Payin, Steamin' Will and Beeman. Payin' be with you, my children. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined by a... <laughs> We're also joined by a good friend of ours from the chat, BlackWolf619. How are things going for you today, Wolf? Very good, thank you. So... Obvious question for a lore-centered discussion here. What's your favorite piece of lore from Destiny, and what got you interested in game lore? Wow. Okay. Easiest to answer is going to be, what got me into game lore? And that's going to have to be um, you guys with the Focus Fire chat. Success! Aww. That's awesome. Yes. Oh. We have at least one person that we've converted. At least yeah. one person. Hey, it be with yes. you, Black Wolf. He be with you strong. <laughs> and now she is running away from us. Yeah, I am very quickly. <laughs> like, hopefully halfway around the country for some of you. Or at least as far as freaking possible. Not trying to go to the moon. <laughs> I'm in Florida. First, okay? So if you're down south, you're in trouble. Oh, oh, down south. I'm good. I'm safe. Uh so yeah, I'd have to say that was uh, thanks to you guys. I didn't even know that Destiny had lore or that there was grimoire or anything like that. Uh, so it actually came to me as quite a surprise. I kept thinking, dang, where do they find this stuff in the game? This is all a bunch of, what are they talking about? What is this, fan fiction or something? And uh, Yes, Justin and wrote I, it all. Some yeah. of it is borderline. <laughs> <laughs> some of it. Just yeah. some. Uh, yeah. So after a little bit, I... Uh, Figured out some more, did a little research myself, and uh, came to really enjoy it. It's actually pretty neat. Um, definitely good reading material to go to bed at times, except for um, except for the Taken stuff and the Hive. That stuff creeps me out. Kind of horrifying. For a couple of years. <laughs> Can we, please? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's supposed to be, so. Yeah. So, my favorite piece of lore... Um, is and which was kind of neat for uh, this round of uh, the focus fire chat would have to be in regards to the queen and the reef versus um, the uh, house of wolves. Yeah, yeah, that was that that's, was a oh, after you took him over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a pretty that good one. Cool. Just was. like yeah, you guys went from the wolves to the bees, and you guys know what I mean by the bees. <laughs> yeah. Well, they. Yeah, they were they were playing chess or checkers, and she was playing chess. She outsmarted mm-hmm. them all. I love yeah. that. Oh yeah. So. Um, Black Wolf, I think I'm I'm I need to do this every episode that we have a guest now. Uh huh. What are your feelings on pain? Oh Jesus. <laughs> feelings on pain? 
On pain, yes, on, exactly, on pain. exactly. No, pain. pain makes you stronger. <laughs> pain does not make you stronger. He makes yes, pain does make you stronger. You're right. <laughs> no, no. Good job. No, no. You shut your mouth, Justin. <laughs> oh, Thank you, God. my child. Pain, you and you. <laughs> oh wow. He's yeah, just. I hear pain is pretty. Uh, pretty much a. Um, Where's the word I'm looking for? A controversial character. Um, that's kind of a He's scary the most question. badass bard that you've ever heard of ever, is what he is. Oh, my God. I don't know. I like Saint-14. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Where did <laughs> come from? I'm just saying. And, and yeah. Black Wolf, please tell me that you did air quotes when you said the word character. Oh. <laughs> that was <laughs> my voice, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, oh, man! So, well, is this where you want to be when pain comes back? Is this where you want to be when pain comes back? No, Justin. So you stop. I honestly <laughs> don't think, character or not, that this is something that's going to come back. I think it's something that will be alluded to, but um, as far as the uh, the story going onward, uh, no, they they keep coming out with too many new things without del- delving back into the uh, already substantiated lore that they have. So I don't really see a reason to make more storyline off of what they've already given us as far as some which, of the previous stuff. Which hopefully that, the you know the whole thing that we're going to see tomorrow actually looks like exactly. it's going to be kind of a return back to that, but. The topic for today's chat is going to be on the topic of the major battles of the city. Um, Before we do get into that, however, I want to run through some just some quick notes. Our last chat was over the Dark Souls titles. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please also give us some feedback on iTunes or through our email, focusfirechat at gmail.com, just to let us know how we're doing. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Next week's chat's going to be a discussion on The Taken, and actually as a side note, next week we actually are not going to have a stream because I'm not going to be here. I'm actually going to be in LA for E3, so I won't be able to stream anything. So we're going to, we will probably, what we'll do is we'll figure out a time and we will actually do a double episode the following week to catch back up. So just keep that in mind. And with all that, we're going to go ahead and just dive right into the lore surrounding the major battles of the city. One of the things that we're going to talk about is the Faction Wars, and I have the Faction's card up. They have a quote here. They've done more good than harm, by most calculations. In the city's earliest days, various factions vied for the hearts and the minds of refugee masses. Power struggles threatened to shatter an already tenuous existence. The following conflicts, known as the Faction Wars, brought the city to its knees. 
When the chaos grew intolerable, a gathering of guardians fought to end the conflict. The new peace brought a new order. The city consensus of the rules the speaker ruled together, and the surviving great factions worked through civil channels to pursue their agendas. That order still holds, but as the city reaches out into the frontier, the factions see new opportunities everywhere and a chance to win over guardians to their cause. So we, we all know about the three main factions, mm-hmm. um, which are the ones in-game. You know, we have Dead Orbit, of course, New Monarchy, and um, the Future War Cult, and we're going to dive into all of them. But there's also factions that a lot of people haven't heard of because they don't read Grimoire. You know, like um, the the Binary Star Cult, the Triary Star Cult. Um, and then Concordat, too. And Concordat is a very important one, right? And yeah. I know, yeah. and just I mean, just a point too. We're not gonna we're not gonna dive too far into the factions. We actually do. Episode two was actually our big faction dive, um, so check that out if you're interested in factions. I'm sure we are going to be re- like going back and touching back on them, um, probably here shortly, uh, just because there's some information that has obviously come out since we did that way back when. And so, but, you know, going, going back to the kind of lesser known factions, I think, Justin, you want to. Yeah, actually, we have a crucible map that kind of sheds a little light on one of the lesser known factions, and it is called Bannerfall. And it does a couple of really cool things for us. It, it uh, shows us another tower and kind of shows us that our tower isn't the only tower. And then uh, this is the card for Bannerfall. Its uh, location is in the last city, Earth. Lysander and the Concordat mark the most recent example of a city political faction rising in opposition to the consensus. This site marks a legendary battle where New Monarchy's guardians rose to deliver the final blow to the Concordat. Unraveling the war effort Lysander brought, sought to bring against the vanguard. Lord Shax has commandeered the area not only to commemorate this last stand, but as a reminder of the city's solidarity against those who seek to undermine the extreme efforts and sacrifice we make to keep together our peace. Yeah, and the other thing real quick on Bannerfall um, is this Bannerfall, a lot of people I think kind of assume that Bannerfall was part of the faction war. And it actually wasn't. Uh, Bannerfall actually took place after Six Fronts, and we know that because of the Osiris card, in which the Concordat is still around and still making threats against Osiris before he became Vanguard Commander. So this, and generally speaking, I think it's a safe assumption that says that the Faction Wars would would have occurred before Six Fronts. Um, You know, there's... A yeah. theory, there was a theory that we kind of threw around in chat that actually the entire event of Six Fronts kind of marked an ending point of the Faction Wars a little mm-hmm. bit because the external threat of the Fallen kind of, you know, instead of infighting, they all of a sudden had this vast external threat that just required them to all come together. Yeah. And so. And also, really the, also the consensus sprang from the 
the faction wars. So the the existence of a consensus at the time of Bannerfall shows you that it's post correct faction wars. I believe. Yep, that's that's another really good point. Yeah. Yeah. But it also the other fun another fun trivia fact about Bannerfall, and I don't I don't remember how we got on this topic in chat, but the uh, tree that is actually in Bannerfall that a lot of people you know Ooh, that recognize that um, we we did a bit of kind of in depth dive on the tree analysis, and it is it's pretty much the same tree as the one in the tower that we all know of and that we interact in and that tree is actually an ironwood um i can't remember the exact species i'm pretty sure i think it was did rhino and unicist i think they might have narrowed yeah, it down for that yeah but Thrones crossover confirmed <laughs> well we we got down to the point where we were con- we were comparing leaves and i think that was the point where it was kind of like hmm <laughs> We, yes, we we might be having a little bit too much detail in this. So, well, on a side note, to add even more detail into it, in the Game of Thrones Telltale series, you actually play as House Forester, who they have the ironwood trees um, that make the best shields, of course, amongst anything else that you would need to make of wood. So everybody wants their ironwood. And um, that's one of the things that the family continues to protect is their forest. And then there's a hidden forest of ironwood as well that they keep private. So ironwood is uh, a very valuable wood. Oh, yeah. I mean, even in games like D&D, you know, any fantasy game has a component of ironwood. And there, there are actual trees. There are actual physical trees in reality that are ironwood trees. Um, so the, I mean, it's, and it's definitely, I think I can't remember what the, what the tree was that we figured it out was, but, uh, Oh, was it the, the Nordic? No, we, we, we talked about it being Yigastril, but yes, there you um, go. I was going to say Benadryl, Benadryl, but I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> quite remember Benadryl trees. Yeah. Carry on. But uh, now, now speaking of Ironwood, we we do have uh, um, a Titan that was as tough as iron, which I think you might have the card on blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but first I wanted to go. Um, I was going to let Wolf read the City Age card because that was another another one that dealt kind of. Well, it mentions the faction wars. Okay. Let's see, the City Age. When did the City Age begin? Perhaps when the bulk of the world's survivors lived beneath the Traveler, rather than in the wilderness. Or when the Titans raised the first wall. Or at six fronts. When the city first faced coordinated overwhelming attack and repelled it decisively. The city did not rise without struggle. Warlords and wilderness fiefdoms clung to power. Starvation, disease, and anarchy menaced. But the guardians held the frontier, and the children of the Golden Age kept the fire burning through the long climb back. Legends walk through the history, the Iron Lords, St. Fourteen's crusade against the fallen, the mask of the speaker, the great Ahamkaru hunt, Tolan's madness, 
terrible faction wars, and the horrifying, disastrous effort to retake the moon. As the city learned to walk again, it found a world overrun by alien menace. It faced disaster and defeat. Even in recent years, as Guardians began to venture back to the moon and the inner planets, the city's territory has withdrawn. Outer sections abandoned and converted into fortifications in the wake of the Battle of Twilight Gap. But the city's shipwrights and foundries hum with energy. The probability kilns and work cooperatives produce new wonders. The darkness is rising again, but so is the light. There's so much that I love about this card. (laughs) And every time I read it, all I can think of is I want to go see a probability kiln. (laughs) <laughs> right i don't i don't even know what that is but i want to see one actually i just I I, you know i just want to walk along the city that's really all i uh, care about because uh, i know what yeah, it I is like. the bar. and there's no that that's just hot there are no what is it um there's no mechanics as in terms of technology towards it it's just right. metal hot that's right a kiln. but i mean but right? That's what makes it so intriguing, is it's a probability kill. Yeah, so just you're just mashing <laughs> different <laughs> instances together and, and cooking them and see what, what's probable to come out. Like you throw in a bunch of like items and material and something just poof materializes into something? I don't know. It's like the um you ever play the 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 alchemy game where you're you play and you start mixing random materials and you create new things. That's oh. what I imagine is the probability kiln. <laughs> it's yeah, the city, I've, I've played the city being like, mm, yeah, let's try that. Yeah, I've played I've played Minecraft Blue. No, not, not Minecraft. There's a it's a mobile no. game. Crafting table confirmed. That's crafting what you just said. Crafting. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, oh goodness. Well, so, hey, come on. Huh? I can't be the only one that's mad that we can't visit the blustery brew right oh yeah (laughs) that's true well i mean but just just walking among the city that would be i think that would be an amazing you know well they say that titans favor that tavern Mm -hmm. but we've never seen that tavern and i mean i I really want to see it i want to see what the blustery brew looks like i want to know what titans are drinking these days (laughs) the other the other (laughs) <laughs> the Sorry, other thing, no, 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 no. The other thing I was going to say is, you know, the, the a lot of people don't realize, but they're so the three factions that we interact with, right? Those are what are often called the great factions. Those are just the factions that are that are acknowledged by the consensus as having a majority control over the population, and so right. they're allowed to vote. There are numerous factions that are in the city. And, you know, I could see this being kind of like, you know, an Assassin's Creed like, you know, side quest where you, you know, you can pick a faction. You can actually like start building faction rep with other factions and stuff like that by doing, you know, patrols or something like that. I could just see a really cool kind of side quest for an MMO, especially. I think that would be a fascinating development, but that's just me. We can just sit and wait. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody think that the Blessery Brew was around when Rezal Azir was around? You think he might have went to that bar? Probably not. He probably no, because he was around before the walls. Yeah, he, yeah, probably, he probably sat on a rock. Shot. He sat on a rock and just like 
I, I don't know what he would drink. Well, actually, technically speaking, if the water supply was bad, the next best thing would have been to create beer for a water or a drinking source. Yep. I, I so agree completely with Black Wolf. It have been that they drink beer more than they drink water. It's because I see. See, that's that's my problem. Bad water. <laughs> bad water. Did you know by 2017 um, there will be more water purchases than soda? That's nuts. Well, Rejected. I can. I need to start working to rectify that problem. <laughs> I need to go start buying Dr Pepper again. Yeah, you do. Dr. Okay. Pepper cherry. So, <laughs> moving on. Getting back. <laughs> Rezel is here. So there's there's a card that we all got in the Taken King that, you know, everyone really liked. And then we actually got a second one, but I'm going to go back to the first one that we got. Second one was so awesome. The second one was really fun. But this is the one that it's Rezel is here before these walls. And it says Rezel is here was a man in his in his in time. His kind would be called Titan mountains of muscle and might and metal. His collar was fur and teeth. His person clad in ordinate gold-etched plating, trophies upon his shoulders. This was before the city was the city. This is before the walls, still in the shadow of the fragile giant above, but before. Salvation seekers came, survivors, weak, wary remnants of a people on the brink. These were the days before reason took hold, before study was merged with belief. The giant was looked to as one would a god. Maybe it still is. Factions grew from the huddled masses, like minds coming together to provide support, comfort. Over time, these loyalties demanded loyalty. Differences that used to inform viewpoints that when joined granted a larger understanding of the whole became points of conflict. The sanctuary became divided. The shadow of light grew darker. This, humanity's last oasis, slowly fading into a mirage. Great, powerful men and women, the Risen, stood at the faction sides. Protection, enforcers, misused possibility. Misery crept into this false paradise, yet hope lingered. Seeing the cracks in the society born beneath the giant's fractured shell, some among the Risen challenged the dissolution of all that could be. They would no longer serve as instruments of oppression. They would be more. Thus began an unnecessary war made necessary by greed, ambition, fear. And in the chaos of this struggle came the scavengers, aliens with appetites, a common enemy. In the end, the scavengers were repelled and the factions fell, their grip broken, though their beliefs remained. This was the earliest days of the Guardians, when might found purpose. Prosperity was in reach. Rezel had been a champion of these wars, a leader. Against the alien pirates, he had been more. If the giant wasn't a god, then maybe Rezel was. As the first walls formed, built of hard work and sacrifice, Rezel and the Guardians stood against the alien plunderers time and again. More survivors arrived, more warriors and the Guardian ranks swelled. The city grew. Hope blossomed. To Rezel, it was a currency. Hope brought tomorrow. Tomorrow brought the effort needed to survive today. Yet Rezel grew wary. Stories haunted his nights. Old stories, those no longer told. 
those locked behind tight lips for fear of what they may invoke. Whenever the sun dropped below the horizon and the moon rose high, Rezel's thoughts wandered. How safe was safe? How long could they fight with the darkness still writhing? And so, every day, Rezel would fight and build and protect. And every day, a city grew beneath the giant. And every night, he would think about all that was never said and stare intently at the moon above. I keep forgetting how long that card is. Yes. Rezel is the... Exactly what you want in Titan, it feels like. Especially after we got that second card, you know. But um, I think more importantly is the fact that this kind of points out that he was part of those faction wars. And he was part of the uh, war against the Fallen. Which, let's see, I believe we had six fronts, then we had Twilight Gap. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And he might not have been part of Twilight Gap, but do you, what do you guys think about him being part of uh, Six Fronts? I I think mm-hmm. that he was part of Six Fronts. I actually also wanted to point out real fast. So that teaser trailer that came out? Right. Did anyone else kind of put a connection there with the description <laughs> with Rezel and the figure that we saw? Yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. I don't. I don't think it is. I think it's all but been confirmed that it's Saladin. But still, it was like I'm like I'm reading this and I'm like, hmm, big hammer, <laughs> big big hammer, mountains of First, muscle. That could be an axe, for all we know. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's the argument right now. Is it a mall? Is it Thalor? It, it, or is it's it very? A, yeah. It, it it resembles Thalor's mall. Yeah. On the, I, I don't think it's Thalor though. That no, 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 no. I don't. But think it resembles that. it resembles the mall that we see on Thalor, or that we see from yeah. Thalor's Mark. Thalor's Mall on the 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 Mark Thalor's Mall. Yeah, I agree. Um, Which is really weird because an axe is not a mall, but we won't get into that. Right. It, it, that bugs <laughs> me so much when they're like, "Yeah, it's a mall." No, that's an axe. That's a battle axe. That's not a mall. The mall is a giant hammer. Right. <sighs> but moving on. Yes, moving on indeed. <laughs> moving on. Indeed. I mean, I think I think that Rezel Rezel as being part of Six Fronts is not a huge stretch. You know, um, I think that we don't have confirmation. Obviously, that he was part of Twilight. Um, right. But beginning. Before the city. Right. At the very beginning of the city. And Six Fronts was around that time frame. Right. Well, and then, you know, Six Fronts was, yeah, exactly right when they, right. Were, they were putting so up the wall. So. Barely get down and dirty with all the other guardians in the fight and go face to face with the fallen. He may have been commanding a unit from which our legends and heroes rose from. I would, yeah. I would. I mean, I completely. I. I can. I can even go as far as seeing him actually being involved with the defense of the city, because right. it's. I mean, he says it says that, you know, he he kind of did mix it up with the alien invaders. It is. It is a little weird, though. He's such a massive figure. If he was involved in any of the modern battles of the city, do we not think that maybe they? They would be either A, singing his praises, or B, mourning his loss. Like, surely, it just strikes me as odd that this giant figure isn't mentioned directly 
in connection with any yeah, of these battles. It's, I'm it's, not saying you know it's I'm almost like his, he wasn't it, in there. Yeah, it's almost like his name was censored. Oh wait. Yeah. Well, it's, oh, hold on. Look how much. Okay, so I'm going to want to tangent. I think I broke Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, my head kind of hurts right now because I can't believe you did that, Blue. Um, Black Wolf, go ahead before I have to go hunt down Blue. I'll, I'll punch him when I see him in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, how's that sound? There you go. Sounds good. There you go. But, um, you I'm know, just glad okay, someone so caught it. Uh, but at the bottom of the card, where it talks about him growing weary, stories haunted his nights, um, there's there's word um, there are other cards that talk about Osiris and how he was interested in things past, just the way things were. He wanted to know more, and there is a bit of a censoring for people who are trying to think outside the box per se. And well, okay, now keep going. Okay, but if we think about <laughs> it, okay, stories are based off of humanity because it's the closest thing that we know of. So I see a similarity with that and the censoring of our own intellectual minds in current society, in reality. And I think that's something that's kind of like brought over into this. I don't think that it's in terms um trying to be cruel or demeaning, but I think it's more in the way of protecting the people. And in that respect, if Rezel was um, thinking about other things like truth and stuff like that and what was going on outside of the world while at the same time being concerned with the city and the people having that responsibility, because you notice with the Titans, um, any of the Titans that we talk about, Saladin, um, Shax, uh, Zavala, they're all really black and white. There's no gray. You either do it 100% and you do your job and you do it well, or you don't do it at all and you're a screw up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I think she a, pretty much nailed it, though. That's, I mean, that's well, true we have things. We have one what Titan that we I don't know if he did a job, and that's Saint-14. Now, what are you talking about? He did many jobs. But he, uh, no, he was a crusader. His last, the last assignment. The his last, last assignment. It it almost was like you can read that as him kind of being like, Ugh, or you know him just kind of. Re- there's a lot of different ways to read that. And oh wait, we mourned his death. We don't know that he actually died. No, we don't. See, no, I no, we mourned his that. loss. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. When the speaker contacted Saint Fourteen. I didn't see him being more like, uh, fine. No, what I'm saying is you can, depending on, no, but depending on the emphasis that you put on the, that last, that last phrase of his, this old man that's about to wake up hell, he could be speaking about the speaker or he could be speaking about Osiris. It, it could go either way. Yeah. And he calls the speaker, his father, which I think is kind of interesting. I, I mean, given that his name's Saint, and that the speaker is right. kind of described as a high priest. I still see that as a title, not a not an uh, actual. Personally, maybe but so. Real fast, I did want to I did want to touch on a point. 
it's not so much that questioning seems to drive like exiling things. It's as much as they, the subversion of resources, like with Osiris, the reason which Osiris got exiled from the tower was first off, he, you know, blatantly disagreed with the speaker very publicly. And then second off, he, he diverted resources of the tower as the Vanguard commander from doing what they were supposed to be doing to do other things. Like he purposely, he purposely like subverted those resources from what the consensus has told them to do. He was like, "Mm, no, we're going to go this way and we're going to go. And that was what I think caused the, the, Mm -hmm. um, the boot. So are we putting Cade on notice then? (laughs) <laughs> yes Kate, I think yeah. Kate has always been on the PIP program like I think <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I think he is perpetually on that so but I mean so coming I mean I guess going back is there anything else that we had that we wanted to throw out from that card in, re- in regards that. to major battles right yeah every episode of ours is an Osiris episode confirmed yep because Osiris' life. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, moving on from Rezel, what do we know about Six Fronts? Okay, I will tell you about Six Fronts. Um, <laughs> six Fronts. The first battle to take place at the last city, so named because of the six approaches that led to the city. Evidence suggests that the majority of the defense was led by Titans, Masterclass and many Titan <laughs> marks and pieces of armor memorialize the event. A number of guardians defended the city during this period are referred to as the Lords of Iron. Osiris was also present at the Battle of the Six Fronts, and his actions at this battle contributed to his appointment as Vanguard. Which, once again, and oh well, shocker, we're talking about Osiris. Um, it was there that Osiris helped St. 14 to the point where, of course, St. 14 recommended Osiris as uh, the vanguard for warlocks, which we all know that he he did that for a little bit, got tired of it, got ex- exiled. We talked about that earlier. Um, and then it is possible that our boy Rezel here could have also been at the Six Fronts, which we don't know. It's not confirmed or denied. Anybody else want to throw anything into that, or um, not not right. Mm. <laughs> There's so much that. fun stuff about Six Fronts. I mean, I mean you, have, you have the fire I, break. I, the fire I read break that order card from um, the the second Rezzle card. I see that happening during the Six Fronts. Oh yeah, I yeah. Because, I mean, he he is battling the Fallen in that card when he's like, hey, Ghost, uh, I'm going to do this thing that's going to kill me, and then you're going to res me, and I'm going to smash everything in my wake when I res. God, I love that card. Well, I mean, <laughs> just, just the Titan Orders that we know were there, you know, the Pilgrim Guard, the Firebreak, Chain, and Stoneborn. Those orders are just kind of, they have their own fascinating history. I mean, the firebreak is, I mean, I love the firebreak order just because the, first off, it's an ingenious play on the word of firebreak um, mm-hmm. because that's the, they literally, um, I think it was the mark of the sortie 
when they it says that at six fronts two firebreak commanders led a sortie beyond the walls they reclaimed five miles of scorched land from the fallen and we talked about this a little bit in uh, i believe it was the titan episode but um the fun the fun part about that is that if you look up what an actual firebreak is basically they actually created a physical firebreak around the city a five mile wide fire break, which is basically it's it's a way to fight fire by burning ahead of a fire. So like, um, you know, when a wildfire gets out of control, what they would often do is instead of trying to dump water on the fire, they would just go ahead of it where it was spreading and they would actually tear up or burn the ground so that there was no fuel for the fire and the fire would kill itself. And then also as a defensive measure, especially in medieval times, it was a very, very common thing to, take within a number of miles within the walls of a castle they would just level it because what that does is it 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 gives you a increased line of sight to which you could see people coming to attack and so your your archers within the castle walls or your artillery within the castle walls would have a cleaner shot to defend it defend them at an earlier point than if you just left you know, cities. That's why when you start seeing castles with cities around the walls, that was a sign of prosperity and peace because they didn't have to worry about being attacked. So they didn't care about having a clear line of sight. And then that was also one of the first things during a lot of the medieval wars that would get destroyed as they would just level those cities around, like within, it usually was in a couple miles of the city of the castle walls. And so that was kind of, a, it was just a return kind of to a, a medieval tactic that actually worked very, very, very well. And to me, that was just a very interesting kind of play off that concept of the combination of a military tactic from medieval, you know, medieval realms. And then also the combination of the fire, because that then ties into the whole light against the dark and all that. And so that, you know, six fronts is fascinating to me. But the problem is, is that we don't have, we actually don't have a lot of information about six fronts. Like we, we have a few bits and pieces. Um, so I, I mean, Justin, I think you have the, the one grimoire card that kind of really solidly points towards six front. Yeah. And actually just one little footnote, any city whose defense involves six fronts was poorly chosen geographically speaking. Yeah, well, I mean, but, that, and, but then, yeah, there's that. But then there's also the fact that there was only four Titan orders. And also, they didn't have much choice in the matter because it is underneath yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the giant, you know, the giant orb in the sky. But I digress. <laughs> so, when speaking of the six fronts, I don't think you can get away from having a discussion about the Iron Banner and the Iron Lords. Yeah. Uh, the Iron Banner. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Very relevant as of late. Um, only the strong are welcome here. Lord Saladin Forge, hero of the Twilight Gap. The Lords of Iron, ancient warriors from the city's founding, have no time for molly coddling. The city remembers Felwinter and Yodler, Scory and Teemer, Radagast and Gellion, and the others for their invincible patrols during six fronts and the wall building. The Iron Banner asks Guardians to live up to that legend. Lord Saladin, once Shaxx's mentor, 
runs the Iron Banner tournaments to strip Crucible weaklings of their illusions and to prepare them for a battle with no concept of fair play. The Iron Banner tests the Guardian and the Guardian's gear in a, in a definitive, relentless mock war. By the order of the city's consensus and the speaker, Saladin and Shax cooperate in administration, and the Iron Banner is technically a component of the Crucible in practice. In, uh, in practice, Saladin keeps his own schedule, his own rewards, and his own territory in the tower. Now and then, someone tries to get Zavala, Shax, and Saladin to sit down for dinner and sort out their differences. But they remain as awkward and as stubborn as Saint Fourteen's skull. Yes, so six fronts is uh, and that's a really good line. I know is <laughs> is actually woven with the you know all the all the Iron Lords and and uh, everyone's favorite vendor, Lord Salad Hand. Um, <laughs> yeah, any thoughts, uh, Black Wolf? Yeah, actually, I think it's kind of interesting. One of the things that they allude to is a dissent between the orders of the Titans that were defending mm-hmm. the city at that point in time, and that something happened, and they all came to work together. Um, and yet, at the same time, we have this issue between three of the Titans that in our playthrough of Destiny, we become very close to Zavala, Saladin, and Shax. So I'm really curious, like, what happened between these three? And I'm hoping the new expansion sheds some light on that. But until then, there really isn't any answer. Well, I would, I think for for the Titan orders at Six Front, mm-hmm. the... You know, I kind of hold to the assumption that the Firebreak Order was a little bit mm, uh, headstrong, I guess. Well, we know they were headstrong. Yes, that was their tactic. I didn't actually intend to use that word, but what they were they were more um, aggressive. They were more yes. offensive, whereas right. the chain and I want to say um, – Stoneborn, Stonebreak, uh, Stonebreak, Stoneborn, no, no, Stoneborn. Yeah, Stoneborn. Yeah. I think yeah. they they kind of feel like they're more defensive. They were the ones that you know, the chain, especially, was kind of the one that would like we never broke the we never broke the the uh, oh what is it? It's they said that they never broke rank. I think. Hang on, real quick. Let me pull up Mark of the Chain. Yeah, okay. some Titans broke orders, but the chain prevailed. Uh, right. and that's on the Mark of the Chain. So like the chain kind of takes pride in. They were told to make a wall. And they stood and they made a wall. Whereas the fire break, you know, like I like I read with the mark of the sortie, they they actually left the city, and right. they actually attacked. They they made it a counterattack, which actually kind of leads into a, a number of people kind of assuming that Saint Fourteen was actually a member of the, the fire break. Um, and I know that a lot of people also assumed that Radagast was a member of the fire break as well. Um, right. And so, but. So there was there was a descent, and it always seems that that kind of seems to be the fuel for the fire for all descents in the tower. Is what is the best tactic? You know, you're in you're in a pretty much a post apocalyptic world in which everything has you know gone to hell in a handbasket. How do you respond? And a lot of the speaker and a lot of the titans were 
we defend this earth. We defend this ground that we are on. And even some of the Titans disagreed with that. And that's what happened, you know, when we'll talk about it a little bit in Twilight Gap. But that's mm-hmm. where with the three Titans that we have in game, that was where it kind of came to a head almost. Because Saladin at the time was the commander. There's a debate right now, was he actually the Vanguard commander or was he just, you know, a commander of the forces? goes back and forth. There's never actually anywhere that he's actually referred to as the Vanguard commander. He is referred to as a commander, though. And so it's it's a safe assumption to say that he was a Vanguard commander. Um, whereas Shax actually led a counterattack. And it kind of, you know, I know a lot of people kind of read into that as saying Saladin didn't authorize that. He hmm. just did it. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. and thankfully he it worked like it worked but you know that that was a breaking of rank that was that was him yeah. disobeying a direct order and that's where right. that tension comes for between because if you notice Zavala Zavala actually doesn't have beef with either of them he's actually kind of the mediator between them he so. is yeah but oh, and face. there's there's a uh, Oh, it's the mark, mark of the Lost Charge. And this is actually kind of what I use to defend my my point um, that Saint 14 is part of the firebreak because it says, A zealous few sneer at the legend of Six Fronts. Our invincible defense was a waste, they say. We should have charged. And my point here is that Bungie, Bungie picks their words very carefully because they don't give us a lot of them. And so they're usually pretty careful about what they, you know, put out there. And we only have one character, really, that would be a very zealous person. You know, what's more zealous than a saint? And mm-hmm. and we that- know that we know that Saint Fourteen <laughs> led a counterattack. You know, I mean, that's the famous headbutt was him right. beyond the walls killing a Kel. So, <laughs> I mean, it's I don't know. I I, think I see a connection there. But moving on, moving on. No, that's that's a pretty good one. I've heard it a few times, but it never gets old. And I wanted to point out real quick that the firebreak helmet is one of the reasons why a lot of people yeah. also think that Saint Fourteen says the trick isn't landing the headbutt; it's disengaging when you get stuck. And that's the firebreak type two, and I'm pretty sure type one, type three as well. Uh, Titan helmet, which I just wanted to point out real quick that that's another reason why people think that Saint is part of the Firebreak Order, mm-hmm. because once again, that's his claim to fame, is he had but a kill to death. And, well, one, um, of the, one of the claim to fames. <laughs> one of them. Yeah, he's, he, he, he seems to have quite a, quite a history that we don't but, know. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I was about to say, where can I read this? This would be amazing. Right. <laughs> no, there, so. There's probably more, but highlighted only the best. And that, yeah. that's pretty dadgum freaking awesome. I mean, come on. <laughs> come no. on. Big shout out to Bi for having the best sound effect ever. Yes. It, what was it like a wet napkin? I don't know what steam. I could just, yeah. I want to put it as my notification for my cell phone, though. It's just Yeah, if you amazing. haven't watched. Uh, some of Bice's lore videos. Uh, check them out. Uh, the Saint Fourteen ones earlier today. You know, it's just freaking like, wow. awesome. 
<laughs> so, so after six fronts, right, we come to the Battle of Twilight Gap. Now, it's interesting here because like six fronts was it six fronts kind of feels like it wasn't an, a single battle. It was a series yeah. of small conflicts yeah. that were, you know, it wasn't a war, but it wasn't a single battle. Whereas Twilight Gap was, it was a concentrated battle. And so again, we're going to, I'm going to run through the summary from Ishtar uh, just real fast because it does a really good job. Um, and it says a battle in the recent history of the city and the greatest battle ever to take place there. Prior to the start of the battle of Twilight Gap, Queen Marasov of the reef intercepted the house of wolves who were on their way to earth. This prevented the house of wolves from taking part in the battle and culminated in the reef wars, which is explained in the marade. The remaining fallen houses led by the house of devils united on the perimeter of the city. Walkers exchange artillery fire with the city's gun positions. One such gun position became overrun by Fallen, and many guardians died holding the line. As the tide of the battle turned in favor of the city, some guardians pushed forward to counterattack, led by Lord Shax. In the aftermath, most of the outer sections of the city were abandoned or converted into fortifications. Following the battle, Lord Shax petitioned the vanguard to set up the crucible as a training ground for guardians so that the city would be better prepared for any future attacks. One of the first areas dedicated for use in the crucible was the gun position that had been overrun by the fallen. The arena was named Twilight Gap in honor of the battle. So, every time you play on that map, keep that in mind. There. That's great. Well, this is hallowed ground. It it is. It is a hallowed ground. I think what. No, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Oh no! I was just saying we're fighting over graves. That's that's mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it, the other kind of interesting thing there is that it says that the guardians actually died. They didn't, you know, they. It, yeah. And we know that we we'll get that a little bit later with one of our favorite weapons. But I mean, these guardians actually fell. They didn't get back up. So that's no. I mean that's how intense this battle was. Right. And so I think. Just you know, one of the one of the major players in that battle was the the individual that we were just kind of mentioning was Lord Saladin, and I think Wolf, you had you want to grab that grab that card. Yeah, Iron Banner Rat. Lord Saladin. I also want to throw out there real quick that it seemed like uh, Pradith got a taste of what it was like in the Twilight Gap. Mm-hmm. Judging from the the no time to explain quest, right? It, it, it yeah. has it where he's actually kind of viewing it, and then he doesn't see it anymore. Well, he views, uh, he sees it. He sees the aftermath because right. he sees he sees it uh, covered in darkness with the pools of light from Anna Bray. But uh, all right, let's see. Iron Banner rep, a hero to the city and a legend in his own right. Saladin Forge led the city's defense during the battle for the Twilight Gap. His protégés, Commander Zavala and Lord Shax, now lead the tower's vanguard and the Crucible, respectively. Saladin remains close to Zavala, though his relationship with Shax has been strained since the Twilight Gap. The Iron Banner seeks great champions to lead the fight against the darkness. It was born to honor the Iron Lords and their efforts in the earliest days of the city. Which one of the the most ironic thing I think about that 
is the fact that it's Shax and Saladin that have the strained relationship. Right. Yet, they both use the Crucible. You know, like, Saladin so far, that's the only thing he uses as a Crucible for, you know, his training. Right. And obviously it's the same thing for Shax. I love it! Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, Saladin makes a point of it's not fair. It's not yeah. an even playing field. He he actually I think I can't remember where, but there is a comment on one of the quests that he actually kind of derides Shax because he thinks that he's coddling the Guardians. Well, you know what? I have played Iron Banner and been killed by a level two ninety at like light level three thirty. So I'm gonna say that Saladin has the playing field two fairs well confirmed. No, because if they're used, I mean, the the thought process is that there's nothing, there's no such thing as a fair war. And so that, you know, that's why I imagine that Saladin would get along with Cade, to be honest, whereas Shaq's kind of can't stand Cade in the. Well, I'm saying if it wasn't fair, that level 290 guardian would have been seeing me as invincible and I would have just destroyed him. But instead, he killed me for his reasons. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry I killed you that time. Okay? Can we move on? (laughs) (laughs) Fine. I guess we can move on. I believe we're moving on to the man that we were talking about, Shax himself. Shaxy. We we know him as Lord Shax, a.k.a. the Crucible Handler. And uh, his card says, Lord Shax is one of the heroes of the Battle of the Twilight Gap having led the counterattack that pushed the fallen of the city wall from the city walls. Fearing that another full-scale assault would be more than the city could repel, Shax chose to stay in the city to mentor guardians in the Crucible. One day, Shax vows to return to the war beyond the city, but only after he is confident the fires of the Crucible have forged a new generation of warriors. Hmm. So... You know, that that shows Shax is like, hey, we almost got our butts kicked, so we should probably go ahead and train in case something like this happens again. Let's talk about my favorite fallen house. Oh. If we're all good. If we're all good <laughs> on uh <laughs> on Mr. Shax. So the House of Devils. Um At the Battle of Twilight Gap, the devils take whatever nature has yet to claim. That's a quote from Master Rahul. These are the scourge of the city, the shadow below our walls. This is the house that led the battle at Twilight Gap, the house that we tell our children about to frighten them into behaving. The house of devils have now devoted great strength to pillaging the Cosmodrome in old Russia, hunting for something buried below. If they are not held in check, whatever they find might prove the city's undoing. And uh, among notable members are uh, Randall the Vandal. And and I think, what is it, Rixus? Yeah. Devil Archon? Yeah. I like the the devils just simply for their color scheme. I just think they got the coolest looking stuff. It is pretty but uh, they they were the boogeyman in the early days of the city. I know other fallen houses were 
were present along the you know the frontier on Earth, but the devils I think probably had the the biggest numbers or the most concentrated at the city. Mm-hmm. Well, right. and they they kind of hold domain. Other than the kings, they hold domain over Earth, whereas the others kind of have spread out. You know, winter's kind of more well, around the Venus area. If I if I'm remembering correctly, the thing is that the devils actually were one of the more prominent. They were the most prominent house on Earth here, and they led the attack in the Twilight Gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we kind of murdered their faces. And now the kings are the ones who stand strong because they still have their Kel, their Archon, their Prime Servitor, as far as we know. Well, they're the only house that has it. Yeah, they're the exact. That's why I say they're the most prominent fallen house right now. Because well, they, I mean, they argue, just didn't risk their resources. Right. Arguably, the, king, the kings were never not powerful. They just yeah. know how to play the chess game. I mean, Varix confirms that. Varix says that the kings manipulate everyone else into doing what they need them to do. We did kill someone from the kings. I don't remember who. The barons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Moving back from that to Twilight Gap, I think. Twilight Gap. Here we fight for the memory of those who stood. Here we die for the glory of the light that never fades. Arena Destination Twilight Gap. Location City Perimeter Earth. Named for the city's greatest battle. This defensive battery once held the front line against the combined might of the fallen houses. Overrun during the course of the invasion, many guardians lost their lives to hold the line. That the Crucible now claims this hallowed ground is seen as a privilege, a rite of passage, as new generations of guardians stand and fight where the brave fell. Heroes rose and legends were born. So, there you go. That's going back to what we were talking about with the and remember this was the gun location. This was the gun battery that was overrun. Right. So, that's why I mean that's and that's kind of the the reason why they claimed it was kind of as a you know, honoring the memory, but also kind of to, I think, point out, hey, remember what you, what you can do and what can be done to you. Right. Well, in history, we just need places that give us that memory, that something Mm -hmm. that unites everyone. And I think as we've seen before with this battle of the six fronts, um, the whole factions warring against each other, it's civil strife. Having something to remind everyone, a monument of sorts, is going to bring people back to the fact that, yes, we need to be united. Yes, we need to stand together. I agree. Yeah. So. And, and again, almost, I can almost see Twilight Gap as being the first Crucible Arena. Right. Because Yeah, the, the language certainly lends itself to that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the entire reason was... Twilight Gap was the reason for the Crucible to be formed, and so what better way of being like, no, this is, you know, literally, this is the reason you're going to mm-hmm. remember it. You're yeah. gonna, you're going to learn from the mistakes. The reason for the Crucible. Then we just discuss that. No. Well, cool. the, they talked about the, you know, the Battle of Twilight Gap and and how yeah. to commemorate it. They made the the Crucible Arena. 
Right. To mentor. Because it was after it was after the counterattack that he he managed to push the fallen back that Shaq's Shaq's uh, requested by the consensus the approval to create the Crucible, and then Saladin would go on to create the Iron Banner in remembrance of the Lords of Iron. But yeah, it was it was yeah, after I the Twilight Gap. It, it was the Gap. You're right. So having having gone through that, I think Blue has. <laughs> Yeah, no, and the the connection to the 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 Walker card. The reason why I kind of brought in the Walker card was that the Walkers were actually the the opposing artillery forces of the Fallen that kind of went against that. They were kind of the reason that Twilight Gap was broken for a large part. And so it says, Fallen Walkers are mobile gun platforms deployed in offensive and defensive roles alike. Though their insect-like designs give them an eerie, almost lifelike quality, these heavily armored monstrosities are purely robotic. Their advanced tracking systems can account for multiple targets as their forward repeaters and massive main guns sweep the battlefield for threats. Mine dispensers provide close defense against dismounted infantry, and an onboard shank foundry produces armed repair drones. Walkers are immediate and deadly threats, having ended the light of countless guardians. The Fallen do not hesitate to deploy them to provide overwatch for their salvage and extraction crews. Walkers are also commonly used as blocking forces to guard key Fallen assets. At the Battle of Twilight Gap, Walkers engaged in a thunderous artillery duel with the city's gun positions. The collected wisdom of battle-hardened guardians suggests Walkers can be beaten by focusing fire on their legs, overloading the Walker and rendering it its armored core briefly vulnerable. When the Walker stumbles, guardians should focus all available firepower on the exposed components beneath the neck plating. Some externally mounted weapons can also be disabled with precise fire. And I just found a guy posted over on Reddit. I'm, I cannot remember who it posted, but there is actually a trick um, for walkers. If you're facing one head on, focus your fire on the front right leg. It will expose the neck for roughly twice the amount of time as any other leg will do. Oh, cool. I was just going to say my trick was called black hammer. What yeah. do you do to your, what do you do to that fire? You focus it. Yes. Ah, he said it. But and so, it. but I, I thought that I just found that, I just found that trick and I was like, that's a really good tip and so they were they were also they were they were complaining because the walkers never walk (laughs) they just plant themselves (laughs) they just they really don't they don't they 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 plant themselves and they might turn when they need to but they don't actually walk that was that was one of the comments was "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh uh-uh i've seen a move he shuffles two feet to the left yeah that's uh Yeah. This game's jacked because the walkers don't walk and the speaker don't speak. It's awful. Touche, sir. No, the speaker don't speak. I never thought about that, but damn good point. It is true. So you were saying that the the walkers actually was instrumental in uh taking yeah. down that gun battery well, because Twilight Gap. Right, because it was the concentration of all that gun battles that punched the hole in the wall, which happens to be the Twilight Gap location. And so it was just, you know, it was an artillery firefight. And yeah. They and and really, the really, the walker 
you know, we kind of scoff at it because everyone kind of, you know, figured out how to kill them really easy, pretty quick. Well, but I mean, again, just they the, didn't move. So it, it yeah, wasn't. the theory of it, though, it, it should be a pretty formidable, uh, t- you know, platform. To, I mean, it's got yeah, it's got the little bombs that come out. It's got a cannon. It's well, got that was a sh- that was shank another, foundry. God, the shank foundry. <laughs> that was another point on the Reddit post. Was like they were saying, like with this, with the rise of iron. They were like, you know, I hate saying it, but I really want to be chased by a walker. Like those things should be able to move really yeah. fucking fast. If and, it scrabbled oh like, yeah, a, exactly. like a crab, <laughs> yeah. just like, <laughs> you pissed it well, off and aggroed like, it. <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> Oh I would God. I would be nope 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 mm-hmm. all the way across the map. <laughs> all the way across, dude, I'd be in orbit. That's worse yeah. X, X, X. That's worse than a tink tink. Oh no. Well, especially since we're so used to them being yeah. basically <laughs> immobile. Like if all of a sudden out of nowhere we had one that just started like coming you know Like oh my god, holy what is yes? This? So almost, not- almost like the the year three version of uh, Frank the Turbo Shank. Oh god, the Saber Strike Shank. I would yes. love to see it. It could happen, man. It's yeah. like you said. We have Frank the Turbo Shank in the uh, in the Raspy Strike, which he's a humongous shank. Yeah. I um, I actually just revisited that. I was doing just random heroic strike uh, playlist and I was like man I forgot how much I hate the strike yeah he's an awful person <laughs> he is he's <laughs> and he's not even a person <laughs> it's hard to deal with yeah. but he would be easier to deal with if we brought in Gallerhorn to year two <laughs> yeah and there's a quote on the Gallerhorn card that says if there is beauty in destruction, why not also in its delivery? That's by Fetzel Crux. The Gallahorn shoulder-mounted rocket system was forged from the armor of guardians who fell at the Twilight Gap. Gifted to the survivors of that terrible battle, the Gallahorn is seen as a symbol of honor and survival. And... You know, once again, everybody, if you played Destiny in year one, that was the rocket launcher to have, you know, and not only is it a beautiful weapon, but just to watch all those wolf pack rounds surround and then destroy your enemy. Oh, God, it was glorious. Am I the only one who wants – I'm not even a titan, and I want the armor that made the Gallahorn. I want to wear that. No, 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 no. no. It's just the, I, I it's want, just the Alfie Loopy. We just it's, want to- it's amazing. No, I mean you have that armor set. It's an exotic. No, no, but yeah. that's that's silver with gold. I'm talking white with oh. gold, yeah. and I want, little, I want little wolves and little wolf cherub faces, and I want the whole nine. The 14 I wolves think, per weapon? Uh huh. Yes, it's the highest. It's the highest. It's the highest wolf per weapon ratio in the game. Yeah, the WPW's through the roof on that one. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, oh, so I mean, and I think it would be that was covered in chat, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that, was, that was the the, the art per stream. Weapon, weapon ratio. Yep, the art stream. Uh, it was it was van worthy. 
Um, <laughs> they put it. <laughs> so, I mean, I would also be remiss not to point to the, you know, obvious connection to Norse mythology for the Yellowhorn, um, which is the horn that's usually associated with Hamdal or Hemdale and also Mimir. Um, and the information for Yellowhorn or Gallowhorn, however you want to say that, is mostly in the Poetic Edda, which we've kind of, you know, we've talked about that a little bit, and the Prose Edda, which is another, you know, collection of poems for that. And basically, the interesting thing about that is that there's there's actually not a lot of mentions of Yellowhorn in those pieces, but both of them kind of points to it being um, associated with wisdom. And that's an interesting connection because the Yellowhorn in game is entirely point was to remember the loss of Twilight Gap. It was it was a somber reminder of, you know, you know, there there is there is destruction and, you know, but make it beautiful is what, you know, Crux Lomar, who actually also are the the guys who produce truth, um, you know they're they're known for a couple really really high quality rocket launchers and dragon's breath. <laughs> yeah, dragon's Lomar Crux and Faisal. Um, Faisal. Faisal. Faisal goes west. Faisal. Oh my God! Did you really just do yeah. that? He's, no. Um, also, is Gallahorn is is Yalahorn not also? The actual horn in Norse mythology that's blown at the beginning of God, what's the big battle Ragnarok. that ends us all? Ragnarok. Yes, is that not? I, want, I think so. I think it is um, because yeah. Heimdall is the one that like. So Heimdall is the he's kind of like the gatekeeper, um, and Yellowhorn is a trumpet that can be heard in all worlds. So when he he blows Yellowhorn. It's it's heard in all the nine worlds, and so it foretells the events of Ragnarok and all this stuff. And then after the, the enemies, you know, after they all start, uh, or after the enemies of the gods, you know, start to assemble, Heimdall supposedly will will blow Yellowhorn, which will awaken the gods and assemble them into the final battle. So. Right. Yeah, that's right. So. There's another pretty formidable weapon, I'll, although I'll say it's probably nowhere near nowhere near the legendary quality of, of Yalahorn. And I think Blue had that one. It was the yeah. Ray's Lighter. And so but it this, has an awesome card. Right. It's it's a it's a really cool card. Um so this is actually gonna take place after Twilight Gap. So Twilight Gap's, you know, done. The Crucible has been formed. The consensus is, you know, obviously Shax has kind of taken a the ownership of Crucible away with the, the approval of the consensus. And this is actually kind of the first time that the Guardians have encountered, really, really encountered the Hive in a more than just kind of skirmish, it feels like. And so what the cards, and I'll just read the card real fast. So it's Ray's Lighter. It says, next order of business, the growing city foundries, and there's a bang. And it says, what madness is this? Lord Shax, the consensus did not. We barely eked out victory at Burning Lake, and now you think we're ready to attack the moon? We're preparing. Did you not read my report from Burning Lake about the hive's weapons? 
those swords, they're like nothing we've never... Lord Shax, Zavala, you can't think that this is wise. We need to examine these swords, train against them. That is a matter for the consensus to decide, old friend. So, it's, you know, this is, again, Zavala kind of, like, calming Shax. Shax is obviously not a calm individual, usually. But it's kind of interesting here, because even in his... Even in his excitement, he's actually he's actually more cautious than Zavala and the consensus. He actually is calling for them to to halt, you know, well, the the invasion of the moon. Yeah, he's had boots on the ground against right. these things, and yeah. he doesn't have the hubris of you know thinking you know we've got this under control. Right. Um, We've seen this with. I mean, they're probably thinking we repelled the fallen at the city walls, right? And we've we done this, about that we've done that. Chat. Yeah, we, you know, we can do this. Let's go to the moon. How bad could it be? <laughs> um, <laughs> whenever, bad. You know, whenever you ask that question, <laughs> just, <laughs> just take a breath. <laughs> so, and Blue's such a saint. I, I see here he's given me like my two favorite <laughs> cards in the world. And that, that might have been orchestrated. Yeah, like seriously. And I'm not even being facetious. I <laughs> I legitimately love these cards. So um speaking of the great disaster, um let's talk about just a little bit what happened when they when they went to the moon. Just And out. is this the Battle of Mare Abram or is this the the actual great disaster? Uh no, this is this will be Ghost Fragment Warlock 2. Um, to start out with. And yeah, Mare Embryum. Mare Embryum is one of the battles that took place during the Great Disaster. I think the Great Disaster was actually the widespread name for the campaign that sent them to the moon. Yes. And then there were probably different names for the different places where everyone got killed. Ghost Fragment Warlock 2. My name is Ariana 3, disciple of the Praxic Warlocks, marked by the Cormorant Seal. We came here under one banner, united in a host of thousands, to claim the moon. But the battle goes against us. I have taken a prisoner, and this is the record of its interrogation. If I transgress in your eyes, I ask for your forgiveness. Sound of current or discharge. Ariana, it responds to pain. It responds to the light. Heard it again. Monster, heed me. Who is your master? With the sword. Justin's mic. I can hear it in my head. The sword bearer's name is Crota. Record that. Should I burn it again? No, I think you're only feeding it. I will touch its mind. Ghost, help. They call you wizard. You must be ancient. I think you value power very much. Will you still be powerful without this piece of your mind? Tell me how to kill Crota. It showed me the battle. It showed me Wei Ning dead on Crota's blade. It showed me how Crota killed a guardian with a screaming knife hammered out of its own ghost. So I will take a piece of its mind and ask it again. Tell me how to kill Crota. Incredible. Where? Where is his throne? Where is the twilight world under the dead star eye? Ariana, there's word from the company in Mare Embryum. Crota is upon them. Half a hundred dead. 
They need us. Tell me where. Tell me how. Tell me. Ariana, what did I say? It showed me how it did this. Just exactly this to an awoken man. The knives arranged by its will, like little silver ships, like ghosts. It laughed at me. It said we were the same. Crota marches with a thousand knights, and they say the sky above Mariambrium has turned into green fire. They are dying in numbers I cannot bear to repeat. He kills them one by one with a sword that eats their light. Ariana, we have to do something. Kill the wizard. Scatter the ash. It has nothing but lies to offer. Get your sparrows. We have light and fury. That will be enough. Justin's favorite line. I want that line, like in Old English, (laughs) tattooed somewhere. I thought that... um, I thought that it showed him waning sword or her waning sword is, or on the sword as well. Well, I it, it, yeah, no, no, it, 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 she says that, um, inside the wizard's mind, she was, she was shown waning dead on Crotus blade. Yeah. So she got a vision of that, whether that is something that had just happened or was about to pass. We do not know. Right. We do know at we that moment, know it set her off. Yeah, we do know at that moment they were being, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, having a pretty rough go at Mare and Brim. Right. I also <sighs> want to point out that I've eat light, which ties into the other theory of mine. Yes. <laughs> yes, they right. do. Oh, I love that card so much. I have to recover. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, so this is, and we kind of talked about this in chat we'll get a little bit into it, especially with the next couple cards, but this is when the hubris and the arrogance of the city kind of bites them in the butt. You know, it's kind of a, a wake up call or a slap on the hand for them because they're like, you know, they come to Mar, they come to moon and they're like, yeah, we're going to take it back, you know, da, da, da. And they just get stomped. I mean, they just get <laughs> curb stomped by Crota. So, and actually, the interesting thing is there's a lot of people who ask the question of, you know, like, if Crota was such such a victorious figure, why didn't he just come to Earth? Was it the Traveler or what exactly? Why? And, Wolf, I'm going to let you take the, the next card because that actually actually gives us the reason why. Crota does not chase the Guardians back to Earth. Right. Okay. Oryx rebuked. In world, the stars never shone. The worm never bred in our flesh. We lived for a day. Our teeth were too short. We were hungry for things we could not eat. Hello again. It's me. I'm sure you know my name. Let me talk a while. Let me talk. I do take a debased joy in speaking again to small human form heads. When Crota's victory over our little blue world seemed certain, a moment of silence now for Wei Ning, whose directness I admired, it was Oryx who called his child back into the nether world to plan final victory. It was to Oryx that the violence of his spawn was tithed. Oryx is the wielder and the servant of a hum- terrible truth. He has predicted himself on it. 
he has pursued across thousands of cairn worlds his quest to embody it, and you have seen the force of that truth expended to create those taken. He is not a simple thing to kill. He wants to be isomorphic to conquest, to triumph, to killing and death. He is a syllogism. Now, but in time, he hopes to become an axiom. This is his strength and his fatal weakness. For if he ever falters to his performance, if the inflow of devastation ever fail ever falls beyond behind his expedition of ruin, he will be consumed. If he is ever outmatched, then by the terms of his own existence he will cease. It is to Oryx himself, and the heart of the dreadnought that armors and encapsulates his throne world, that you must take your last and surest argument. Good luck. Do let me know if a vacancy opens. That's nice. Creepy, creepy Toland. <laughs> yep. A vacancy just, just floating around, talking to heads, and being a creeper. So just, you know, drop in with a fire team of five. He'll fill up the sixth place. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Seat's taken. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> we know what happened last fire team you were on yeah we're good some good people lost their lives <laughs> yeah but so uh, i guess the point here was that it you know to answer the question right crota didn't pursue us simply because oryx kind of pulled his leash he, yeah he, mm-hmm. he pulled him back yeah so. because they fight for sacrifice as well mm-hmm so it would have slightly made sense in terms of Oryx needing that to keep himself alive, the destruction of the Earth. Right. Well, and then also the the question of, you know, what was Oryx's in-game? You know, there's a lot of theories flying around after that. But, you right. know, there's, there's a... There's a couple of really interesting theories about that. You know, oh, there could have been... Oh, ended up being death. That's what was it, it ended up being. Was it? <laughs> at the end, that's what it is now. Oh, for my yeah. fire team, at least. Yeah. And so at he, least he dies. Week. So a navigator dies in the same realm as a man who has been mapping out the netherverse for the, the past how many years? The point is, is that a navigator needs maps to navigate. There's a, the there's a theory. that looks at Toland is like a hero still. And uh, probably, I, yeah, I view Toland as an opportunist who's looking yeah. for power. Uh, yeah. I mean, he he thinks yeah. he okay. thinks that he's he's fighting the darkness, but he is part of the darkness. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's the only other person we have on record that has spoken to the darkness directly. You know, other than orcs, supposedly, but. At the same time, I mean, come on, dude. Tolan talks like the darkness, right? These days. Well, yes, yeah. that's my point. He's he's losing it. Well, how do you know that's yeah. Toland? What do you exactly. mean he's losing it? Maybe he well, finally, it. you know, no, Stella no, got her roof back. No, but well, you're you're my, making the assumption that that's Toland. That well, yeah, it's a corrupted that, form of Toland, right? Yeah. Or you know, a host. For the darkness, which I mean, he, he yeah, he got stuck in the overworld. You can't um, be immersed 
that that deep and not be changed. Look at Eris. Right. I mean, well, but look Eris at any of look at the right side. Does she? Well, okay, but the darkness doesn't necessarily. Uh, I, I would have to say that the darkness doesn't necessarily take over your body. Like, well, even with the Taken, we kind of have an understanding that the Taken still may have some semblance of sanity within them mm-hmm. of their original selves. And Oryx and his two sisters ate the worms and came to the darkness, or at least Oryx did, and was still fully in control of himself. It didn't necessarily take him over. So even if Tolan went to the overworld and was stuck there and met with the darkness, it didn't necessarily take him over. Corrupted, yes. Crazed, yes. Maybe a part of his brain is seriously damaged due to oxygen deficiency. I don't know. But light light deficiency. Light deficiency. Yeah. yeah. This guy needs a I mean, flashlight. The thing, flashlight. Right. And I guess my, my counterpoint to that is that, you know, the, the the Krill sisters made a Faustian deal. And so with a Faustian deal, you retain your sentience and you retain your self awareness. Whereas right. the taken are are plunged into the darkness and there's arguments, you know, I, I still kind of am on the fence about the individuality of the taken. We have a few taken who seem to have individuality. You know, that's we're just, we're actually, we're talking about them this week. That's you know, exactly. So, yeah. so that is actually the topic that we're talking about right now. Um, a lot of people are kind of on the fence for that. And, you know, there's a, there's a number of people who kind of, I kind of agree with it's kind of a, a corrupted version of the multiple man, multi multiple man from Marvel. You know, at first, oh, there he goes. No, but I mean, think <laughs> about it. At first, all the multiple instances of multiple man all follow the same entity, the the same sentience, and all that. But the longer that they're separate from him, the more they grow independent because their processes and their experiences dictate that they make decisions that don't tie back to the original, and so existentially, if you go, if you look at that from a psychological point of view, your entire decisions are based off your experiences of the world around you. And so unless you're saying that Oryx is a giant queen bee, which, you know, we're going to get into next podcast, but so I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself back from going down that phenomenological road. Yeah, but, I was about to say, dude, we have the, Texas to talk about. We have so much to talk about on that next week right but um, the point is with toland is that whereas the taken were forced into that toland actually went into that voluntarily and he's not being so technically he could retain his independence true but at the same time orcs is still the taken king he took that power after he took akka so orcs is the top of the pyramid, which is controlling all the taken, which are all the darkness infused entities. Now, does he control everything in the netherverse? Uh, I don't know. Probably not because we still have four of the five worm gods floating around somewhere. And technically Akka is still around, but mm-hmm. Toland, I mean, I would, I would argue that there's a pretty good case that Toland is not Toland anymore. You know, no, Toland, Toland's a shell Toland. that's been filled. I don't know necessarily that he's taken though. Oh no 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 no! I okay. no, he's not taken. He's not taken he, in the sense that we know taken. No, yeah, I, he's I, just I, a vessel for for darkness. But yes. I, my point, my point was, is that the reason, one of the reasons, I could see that you know everyone says that he talks like the darkness, right? right. 
that's might might be because he is the physical embodiment of the darkness. That's why he sounds oh, like the darkness man. is because he right. is infused <laughs> with the darkness. So it would be if he came back as an enemy. Right. Well, and we have we have we have instances. We have instances in which that's exactly what's been done. Orcs mm-hmm. created ogres in order to house the formless in the darkness. Like mm-hmm. so that he could speak to them. And so right. it's not the first time that we have a physical avatar of the darkness. But the point there is that because of that power concentration and because realize that Oryx is right above Crota, that's why Crota was so powerful. But just in the same instance, the the hubris of those figures is that they don't pay attention to the legs of the pyramid that they stand on, which right. points to how we were able to take out Crota. Well, I think that was also part of him calling Crota back. Right. Because while he needs tribute and he needs all these things coming in, Crota's Crota's part of the tribute that right. Orcs received was a was a pretty big portion. So for him to risk Crota on Earth needlessly, I think he was like, "Hey, let's rein it in, bring it back, let's face him on our terms." You know. Well, and um, also because he probably knew the traveler was there. Yes, and and the farther I think or. Crota would have gone in. I think the weaker he would have probably gotten. Right. Because of the diffusion of darkness within the light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So that was his credence to drawing Crota back after that win for them. Mm-hmm. Because well, they- and I, you know, just in the same vein that the tra- the city got cocky after a win, it could have right. been the, the exact same. Orcs is like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Yeah, hold up. Wait. So, speaking of Crota, we know a little bit about how he met his end, correct? Right, yes. Well, yeah, we kind of brought his end. But we will go ahead and go to that card, the Crota's End. <clears throat> My name is Ariana Three, disciple of the Praxic Warlocks, marked by the Comormorant Seal, survivor of the Great Disaster. The day we set out to retake our moon, united in a host of thousands, and found ourselves outmatched by one hive champion of unspeakable power. The monster's name is Crota. He killed my friends face to face, one by one, and he relished it. In the name of all those lost, I devote myself to his utter destruction. This is my confession. If I transgress in your eyes, I ask for your forgiveness. In our world, Crota seemed invincible. Together, Eris Morn and I worked out the problem, but found no hope. So we sought forbidden knowledge, the exiled master of Hive Arcana. We found Toland. Toland tells us that Crota's presence is in our world as a shadow. That its true power resides in the netherworld forged by his will. We must pass through a keyhole between realities, navigate the seething midnight of Crota's world mind, and overthrow the ascendant champions that gathered to his throne. Tolan speaks. At, he hardly seems mad at times of the terrible things that await us. A secret song he hungers to learn in the issue of that song, 
an ashen-burning star husk that looms above, an utter antithesis of life. He talks of it with a curious ambition that I do not want to understand. Tomorrow, I will ask Aga, Mota, and Tarlo if they will go with us. If we fail, I leave this record for Guardians to come, to remember us. Which we know she's talking about Omar Aga, Sai Mota, and of course the ever-vigilant Vel Tarlo. Which, Vel Tarlo is still one of my favorite Titans. Fingers crossed the light got to him in time. Yeah, fingers. Oh. So, yeah, we... That was Luke the... Smith came straight out and said that that's not Vel, but I, I can't... I, I refuse to believe it. Go on, Justin. Oh, no, that's that's actually the birth of the original Crotazen fire team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh... Which you can hear Ariana doing the recruiting for it, um, which is actually really interesting to me. <laughs> it sucks because they were such great characters, and there was just with what little we had on them, I would have loved to have seen Omar Aga in a cutscene or two. Yeah, because I mean, and we also know that Bell was actually part of the Pilgrim Guard, one of the first Titan, um, Titan. Orders to be born. So, you know, we lost a great Titan there. Just because reasons. Because he got his ghost plucked away from him like a man. Yeah, he he, he had it pretty bad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He did not get it as bad as Omar, though. No, Omar literally had his flesh ripped or his light ripped from him like it was flesh and... Screamed yeah. and like they they were very very um, detailed and haunting about Omar Aga's death. So, um, speaking of that, about Omar's death and kind of the fate of these poor people, let's talk about Ghost Fragment Hellmouth Two. Uh, again, this is from the from the point of view of Ariana. And uh, it says, for way, I am sorry. My ghost light is so dim. There's no point following me further into this fog. Any hope of raising me died halfway through the stills. I only hope she's got strength enough to take this ember to where you fell. To dance once more with any last whisper of your own light left in this cursed, broken rock. Again, I will confess. I'm Ariana Three of the Praxic Fire. And I know my flame goes out down here. I will burn bright and hot and raise a thousand hive to ash as I go. But I know we will not end him. The one who fell you and hundreds more with that foul blade. I now beg as I feared for your forgiveness. I will not avenge you, but join you amongst the fires snuffed out by this moon. I was a fool to lead us here. I was blinded by the loss of so much, by your light extinguished. I put my trust in the light of four others in a madman, and I bear witness to their fall into darkness and death. Tolan's song was nothing but screams, and we go now to sing with them. We will not return. I only hope that my foolish charge will serve as a record of warning, 
so that no other guardians go to face this monster and those that serve him. And those beasts beyond imagining that he must serve in the realm, I now go forth to die in. That this tiny bit of light, joined with yours, size, Vel, and poor Omar's, that it might spark a torch of warning to leave this dead and broken moon as Crotus prize. Let the titans on their walls and towers look up at the night to this glowing reminder in the sky that your light fell below the surface. Let the moonlight fall on hunter's eyes through the canopies of the wilds and guide the way of warlocks searching their hidden paths. At night, let them look up and see and let us be mourned. At night, let them remember you and let the light of day free them from the curse of this memory. Wow, she's so poetic, even like in the uh, in the middle of the Hellmouth dying. She's so eloquent. Well, and I think you know, I, I like I like the the ending of that card too because it kind of brings it brings it in full circle. You know, the the battle, and what I mean by that is like we had the battle on Earth that was similar to this, the Titans, you know, the Twilight Gap. And mm-hmm. the fall of all the guardians there, and granted, this you know this is on the the tail end of the great disaster, which caused the giant you know recalling of guardians by the city and everything like that, and then this one small fire team who's against you know all orders went as a personal revenge went up against the god that was Crota, and there's there's you know this is like. I can imagine some of the guardians at Twilight Gap were similar. You know, they they were they were falling left and right, and there were probably some. You know, there was probably some who fell there that were there for reasons that were probably not so altruistic as you know, yeah. we're protecting the city. No, they were there because their friends and their loved yeah. ones were were killed, and that's kind of what this just puts a human face on it. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that she sends, uh, presumably, her ghost to go and kind of sprinkle the last bit of its light on where Wei died, mm-hmm. um, which is what I'm imagining she's telling it to do. I love that card. That card's awesome. My main thing about the whole deal is, like, you know, you have th- – this was the card that pretty much told you the reason that – Ariana 3 was so hateful and so vengeful against the hive, specifically Crota, of course, is because of Wei Ning's death, which makes you feel like there was a connection between her and Wei Ning, which we know Wei Ning was a loving guardian from the fact that one of the Titan, um, I want to say is a Titan chess piece, said that that dead oh that's from waning giving me a hug so <laughs> waning was one of those guardians that was hey you yeah you give me a hug no i don't really want to hug you because you're gonna hurt me but you're gonna hug me anyway like waning is one of those guardians that we have never seen in game but we know her well because there's so many different flavor texts 
that just describe her so perfectly as this, this great guardian. But when it came to the battle on the moon, when it came to facing Crota, she died on Crota's blade. And, um, you know, of course, that's the Battle of Mare Imbrium. That's also pretty much the great disaster on the moon itself. Like, we did not win that fight at all. That was the one that slapped us in the face, brought us back to reality, saying, okay, you're good. You're not that good. Maybe you should tone it down a little bit. That's that's pretty much my two cents on, on that card. Yeah, I agree. It is very much a reminder that you can do so much before your luck runs out. And, and, I, and it's Fury, also, Fury will yeah. only take you so far. Right. And I think it's also a reminder that when you don't go in United, when you try to go it alone without the backing of those around you, your chances of actually making it are low. And they did. They went in against the will, as it were, which is kind of crazy, of the consensus or the speaker or anybody in the tower or the city for that matter. And in that respect, they failed. So I think that also goes back to the whole idea that there is some kind of a curse, if you could call it a curse, of going alone that you either go mad or crazy or you end up on uh, somebody else's blade. Mm-hmm. Sword logic. <sighs> Pretty much. <laughs> Sword logic. Oh, my goodness. So that actually marks the end of the kind of the relevant grimoire. And I know we, okay. we included the battles on the moon as being battles of the city, but really in the abstract, it's kind of like the battles of the, you know, of the age of the city. Um, didn't necessarily happen at the city walls, but it was a major battle um, that we went through as members of the city. And I'll say, even though it didn't happen, you know, on earth at all, mm-hmm. it's still pretty relevant because it is one of those losses that, you know, like we just said, that's the loss that brought us back in check. Like, hey, yeah. we're good, but we are not that good yet. It kind of made us not, circle the wagons a little bit. <laughs> not until your guardian comes along, brings in five other guardians that just dance and, you know, murder things for fun. Kind of like we all do in Destiny these days. Yeah. And then one of you grabs a sword, and, you know. It's crowed three times with it, and now he's dead. That's how simple it is now. Three times. I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the reason that we were able to overthrow Crota was because we cut out the legs of his tree. Yeah. Yeah. The we same we, way we that went we through did with orcs. I mean, that was that was another conversation that we had too. Was you know, Crota was immensely powerful at the time of Mare Imbrium. Which was why he dealt with it so efficiently. I mean, he he murdered swaths of guardians using their own ghosts as weapons in most cases. Yet when our fire team goes up against him, he's nowhere near the level of that. Like he's not he's not at that same power level. He is no we longer over nine thousand. But there's only one case of him taking a ghost 
fashioning it into a knife and then stabbing the guardian with it. We have one case of that that I can recall of. Right, but he was destroying guardians left and right just by walking across the, the ground. It's, and the reason why that power difference exists is because the entire storyline quest that we play in which we take out the various faction or the various points of focus of his tribute in the same capacity that we do the same thing to Oryx. It's breaking apart that the yeah. the legs of the stool so that it is no longer stable enough to hold up the power. And, and once you've got the, the power too. out, it's done. We're, we're- we're saying that you know Toland is the um, the voice, the proxy of the darkness. Who is it that tells Eris, "Hey, these guys need to take out his court first? Well, um, not at that time. He wasn't. He was still Toland at that point. He was still. Right. But even then, you could make the argument that he was making a play for power. Well, yeah, he was. Well, I think he was making a play for understanding, not necessarily power, mm, but because his tone is power. Yes, well, yeah, that's, yeah. That's what all, but, all the warlocks, according to the lore, that's what they want. They want understand. Well, specifically mm-hmm. Toland and Osiris, but um, understanding of the darkness itself. There's, I think, there's a, a philosophical difference in the type of understanding that he right. seeks now versus the type of understanding he mm-hmm. sought at that time. At that time, it was understanding to an end, and that end was defeating Crota. I and, don't think so. See, I would. Well, I would maybe disagree. that wasn't the end. Maybe it went farther up. But what because I'm saying he is, he was after the death song. Right. He wasn't after Crota. He could get. Well, yeah. yeah. That, but I think wanted. his his he motivations were a little Gary bit. So they could be a couple of old, old wizards exchanging uh, pleasantries and having a coup de top. That that's he got what he wanted out of uh, the first Crota fire team. Right. Out of all of them, he was the successful one. Yeah, which, I mean, a lot of people look down on Tolan for that. But I guess in that's the end, betrayal. Well, in there's, the end, there's a good reason that a lot of people look down on him for that. <laughs> he kind of stabbed no, no. everybody in the back. At the end game, he helped us with Orcs, who is much more powerful. He did. Right. But but again, what's his motivation though? Right. Too though, exactly the end game. Well, if his motivation was to take the throne, wouldn't it have been he would have tried to take the throne instead of Malik? Well, no, no I, I just don't he think he has the requisite. It. I mean, you're you're talking about a game in which this is a reoccurring pattern of playing enemies against enemies. Look at mm-hmm. the reforce. The reforce was completely using your enemy against your enemy. That's the reason Marasov won, is she's a master at playing people against each other. Tolan did the same thing with the Friar team. He actually theoretically did the same thing with us. Like, he used used us as a tool to take down someone that theoretically is in his way. I mean, if his endgame is the accumulation of power and understanding, we just took out the one person that understands quite a bit and released, I don't know, the Tablet of Ruins that Crota or Oryx wore. I don't remember grabbing those when we killed him. Mm-mm. Those, those no. Tablets of Ruins document... The, the, ta- the Tablet of Ruin was, if I'm not mistaken, in the raid. It is what um, the ogre... Yeah, Golgoroth. Golgoroth. He had one. Golgoroth actually has the Tablet of Ruin. He has a, in the raid. He has a tablet. Not yeah, he doesn't tablets. have all of them. The tablets of ruin are around Oryx's waist. Yeah, 
And so the thing is, is that, you know, those house a lot of information about the darkness. Well, <laughs> they were how he communed with the darkness. Right. You know, which yeah. what has Tolan continuously wanted to do. So ancient battles, I think we pretty much covered most of them. I mean, yeah, I think we're, I think we're right there. Wolf, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I think we've covered it all. It was a really good discussion. So, favorite part of the show. Shout outs. Ooh. Yay. <laughs> Do it. Gonna have to say when Willie wanted me to uh, decide whether I liked pain or not. And whether it was a person or not. <laughs> that was great. Uh-huh. Thanks for throwing that out there. That was That was terrifying. <laughs> I will convince you eventually. Don't worry. All right. I look forward to it. And then I just want to, you know, give a shout out to the live chat, basically, and our chat, who is being a really good sport about testing out the Discord app that we're running. Um, you guys have been really good sports about that. And if you're not already in the Discord chat, I really encourage you to try it out. Um, we have a couple of different little additions running that really make the conversations a lot easier. Um, namely, Unisys, <laughs> her chain and chat just through the through the command out there. But Unisys has put together a a bot for the chat that actually will pull in. Um, any grimoire card, any search, or any item text, so you don't actually have to leave the app or the conversation to see what you're talking about. And so that's what we're we're currently working on right now. So that's it's an immense amount of work, and I we all extremely appreciate everything that he's done for that. So, Uni, you the man for Lorebot? Y- yes. Well, he's also the man for other reasons, too, but that's a good one. (laughs) That's a good reason. Well, I would just like to give a big shout-out to Black Wolf for being an awesome guest this week. Thanks for for coming and trying to keep us in line. (laughs) It's a big job. It's a big job, so you did great. Um, And then also, I'd like just a big general shout-out to the Lore Band. Um, just keeps getting bigger and freaking bigger. You guys keep doing your thing. Um, and to my clan, DOD Shadow White Crew, uh, who will be doing uh, a, an admin raid on my Saturday night stream, which I do not know which one we'll be doing. So if you like seeing a whole bunch of fail, just check out twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Uh, Saturday night at 10 p.m. Central. <laughs> so much fail. <laughs> He's not lying. Yeah, I'm not lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, have a yeah. little confidence. <laughs> you guys can't be that bad. Uh, uh, I'll be that guy that says that. Oh, my goodness. Do it, Willie. All right. My shout outs. As always, first and foremost, DOD, X1 Foxtrot, you know, that that's my clan that I'm a part of and an admin for. And still love all those guys and gals, great peoples. Um, 
thank you for being on here, Wolf. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you putting up with us. Um, and then, of course, big shout out to Blue and Justin for putting up with me because I am an hour ahead of these guys, and sometimes I may end up clocking out early. Would be a good term for it. And that and works. They just deal with it, and you know, God love these guys for. Just saying, okay, well, there there goes Willie. Let's move on. Things happen. <laughs> There's a picture of me. There's a picture of me that my clan loves to post whenever I say anything um, in band. And it's of me standing in the crystal room. And I'm asleep, but my guardian's still there. And they pushed me out. They pushed me out. All, and it's like a bunch of pictures. And each one, I get closer to Crota. Um, and they just pushed me out until finally I was at the almost where the sword bear comes out because <laughs> I fell asleep and was snoring in chat and apparently was moving around enough on the controller to stay in game. Um, <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> oh, I forgot to shout out also. That's a destiny in general. Well, with that, we'll begin to wrap up the chat. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusedfirechat.com. Thank you again, Black Wolf, for spending your evening and chatting with us. Where can people find you out there on the internet if they were so inclined to do so? You cannot find me on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Try, just try. (laughs) I just try. Actually, if you want to find me, I am a part of DOD Leroy Jenkins, which should be a shout out to them. That is my family. And to Kai Sayunis, who is the man of the hour, along with (laughs) Z Sleepy Bear, who got me into the DOD after my year of going, no, no. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you want to find me again, you will find me in the DOD. Nope. Nice. Nope. I am exclusive. Yes. <laughs> so, in other words, if you want to reach Black Wolf, you have to find her at K A I U N I U S at dadsdestiny.net. Yep, that's what I heard. <laughs> So please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through that email as well. We try to keep the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central, but if we have any variations, we always we will always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at focusfirechat. As a note, please remember, next week, due to E3, we will be not having a stream, though we are working on getting something put together to hold you guys over until that following week. So, until next time, the Lore Band marches on. <laughs>